Hey, podcast, and welcome to episode six, which is part one of our time with the Keto Savage and the Lady Savage, Robert and Crystal Sykes. Robert is a 29-year-old WNBF professional bodybuilder who uses a strict ketogenic approach. He and his wife both are advocates of the ketogenic lifestyle, and they have become legends in the industry, very highly sought after, written books, have an entire movement podcast. You can find their podcast. It's called the Keto Savage Podcast. They have a movement around the ketogenic lifestyle on and off the stage. This is a world where everybody thinks that carbs are essential to having an exceptional physique. And not only are they not essential, they might even be optimal, which in Robert's case, this is certainly the truth. Robert can be found on Instagram at the Keto Savage. His website is theketosavage.com. Crystal can be found on Instagram at the.lady.savage. And her website is ladysavage.com. So ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Robert and Crystal. Robert and Crystal, welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So we've been looking forward to this for a very, very long time. Yeah. And for the the biggest reason, I think, is because we really see you guys as having a very, very similar business model and very, very similar, similar personalities to the two of us. So you guys are relatable, even though we're at quite a bit of a distance, um, which is amazing that we're even able to have this conversation. Um, but you guys have been so inspirational to us over the last several months and you probably don't even realize it, but, um, a lot of what we've learned and how our lifestyle has evolved over the last several months has really been because of your guys' influence, uh, both, both of you, um, every, every night before we go to bed, I'm like, Taylor, are you still on your phone, babe? She's like, yeah, I'm looking at it. Wow, Crystal's got this great new workout that I'm checking out. <laughs> uh, it's the same thing for me too. Um, yeah, I mean, all all your podcasts, you, you guys are just you're you're you're, you're authentic. Your um your 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 content is amazing, and 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 you and you live it. You know, you 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 really really live it. You, it's not something. It's not something that you're putting out for marketing. You know, you're like your keto brick, for example. It's it, it's it's a it's a product that you guys that you guys came up with and invented so that you could. Um, so that you, so that you could earn your WNBF pro card. And yeah, I it's not meant to be a product for sale at all. It's just my personal, you know, benefit really. Right. And, and that, and that's what makes it so much different than like any kind of fat bomb or like any kind of other meal replacement bar in the market is like a lot of these are just marketing and they, and they taste great. Mm-hmm. You know, they taste really, really good. I'm not going to name any brand names, but there's a, a, a lot of protein bars and fat bombs where like they taste good and you look at the ingredients and it's like, Whoa. And it's, a ton of preservatives. There's nothing organic in it. And I look at the yeah. ingredients on your stuff, and the first ingredient is raw organic cacao butter. Um, yeah. Dang, that's not cheap to source. No. Them <laughs> <laughs> it's not a cheap product to make by any means. Yeah, but I mean, you 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 inventing that for yourself to to be able to 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 be able to earn your pro card and and to be able to live now as a natural pro just shows that you. It shows how high quality of a product it is. So I guess where we're excited is because we have a very similar business model to you guys where we have a product that fits a certain niche 
and we're and we, and we have a podcast and we have a message and we have training services and so we just see you guys as being couple years ahead of us really and we're and we're hoping that by um, having a relationship with you guys and um, and if you're open to um, coaching me through a competition um, I don't care what your I don't, I don't care what your guys's rates are whatever your time is worth man um, I can't put a price in that kind of mentorship because I've had a very good coach over the last couple of years and um, he's transitioning more into real estate right now and so he's kind of moving on from um, his coaching altogether and uh, you know I really want to do this next one as a as, as, a, as a ketogenic bodybuilder. So I thought, wow, what better um, professional um, source to go to than the man himself, the Keto Savage. So. We just appreciate all the kind words that y'all are giving us because, I mean, we didn't make this to, to form a business to pay the bill. We did it because we loved it and we're passionate about it. So hearing feedback like that is, is you know, just solidifying in our minds that we're on the right path in life, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you guys recently purchased a warehouse, leased a warehouse? Yeah, we purchased it. We, we're leasing our current three warehouse spaces, but this building that we just purchased, it's uh, twice as big as the three buildings that we're leasing currently. We've got like a 12-month renovation period. So once the renovations are done, we'll be moving up there and have a compound 2.0 in the works. Wow. <laughs> we're stoked yeah. with that for sure. We went up there, um, I guess it was yesterday. Yeah, we went up there yesterday and uh, it was crazy crazy how big all the space just seemed it, it's completely empty right now so of course it looks a little bigger but yeah, it just yeah. compared to the space that we have now we'll be able to do so much more and it's oh so exciting that's awesome yeah what a cool adventure because that's been because yeah. like, like i said like we have such sim- similar business ideas that one of, one of our dreams that we actually tried to do last month is we were looking everywhere for warehouse spaces because we're going to be getting containers in from china to um, to have all of the parts to our cast iron um, skull shaped dumbbells. Um, but we aren't going to have them in for like two or three months. And so we're just thinking, mm-hmm. man, all that overhead is going to be ridiculous. Yeah. And we were hoping we could make like a, a gym a part of it too, which from what I understand, that's going to be where your guys' gym is too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be like everything will be on site. So like we'll have a gym, we'll have an apparel section. We'll have the kitchen for the keto bricks. We'll have a podcasting studio there. My office space will be there. It'll all yeah. be contained in one building, which would be just a huge improvement in efficiency from what we've got going on now. Yeah. Wow. So basically all aspects of your business are going to be at your office then. Yep. Yep. It'll be the, the Savage headquarters for sure. That'll be <laughs> world headquarters right there. Savage headquarters. That's I love awesome. it. <laughs> yep. yep. We're, stu- we're super excited about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy because initially, you know, I never wanted to build a business that was based around a physical product. I didn't want to have overhead. I didn't want to have employees. I just wanted to be able to work on my computer from anywhere and right. like van life it up and just travel. Yeah. Uh, but now that I have all this overhead, all these employees, all these this stuff, it's like, I don't know, you kind of fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it is crazy. We think about that all the time. We're like, man, how is it that we didn't want this? You know, you just don't know what you don't have. Um, and now that we have it and we have the employees and everything, it's just... I don't know. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. How, how much of a commute is it for you guys? Is it pretty close to where you guys live? So are, wait, so you're at a studio right now. And so you're, are, are you, are you at the new studio? No. So this is our old leased building. Um, there's three buildings here and we live in one of them. And then so basically uh, the commute right now is pretty short. We just wake up and we're in the, in the warehouse. <laughs> yeah. um, the new building, it's about two and a half hours from here. So when, all the renovations are done. We'll just move up everything and the crew will be coming with us. We'll just all load up and head to Northwest Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. 
Fantastic. So, cool. Well, let's take a step back for a little bit for all of our listeners that don't that haven't listened to the extensive amount of pretty much all of your guys's podcasts that we've listened to and 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 uh, and, and studied your guys's working content the way that we have. But um, what made you? Why why the ketogenic diet? And for and and I, and I guess first of all, why why bodybuilding? What what got you started in bodybuilding? Because both of you compete or have or have competed, and uh, and and why the ketogenic approach, which is so contrary to what to how most bodybuilders approach the sport. Yeah, so I started bodybuilding as a junior in high school. I just wanted to be. I mean, I was 115 pounds. I was tiny, and I wanted <laughs> to put some more fat in my frame and just look better, feel better, and function better. And I started lifting, didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'd watch YouTube videos of like Lee Priest, Flex Wheeler, all the 90s bodybuilders. And then I just fell in love with it and I just became addicted. I'd train in my dad's shop with pieces of steel he had laying around. My first bench was an igloo ice chest that was green. Very primitive beginnings for sure. And then from there, I just started, you know, I got a gym membership and started competing. Um, did everything wrong with the first competition. I did the typical bro diet, lost a bunch of muscle, lost a bunch of weight. Um, and then just fell into the bad habit of having eating disorders. Uh, and I tried to look for a way outside of that. And that's kind of how I stumbled upon keto because it just kind of helped regulate all my hormones, regulate everything really. And then I was able to regain a you know healthy relationship with food through keto. And then I didn't want to sacrifice that to go back to a traditional bodybuilding style of prep. So I decided to see if I can compete with keto and lo and behold, it worked out even better. So no, no turning back now. Wow. That's amazing. That, that's- I didn't start any of that actually until Robert. <laughs> um, actually, when Robert and I first met, I was um, at like a really unhealthy place in my life. And um, I had a lot of gastric issues like gastroparesis, IBS, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was kind of going from diet to diet, not to diet, but just to get in enough food. Um, and I know what I was doing was not sustainable. And they, the doctors had me on like liquid diets, super high sugar, just to, like be digested really easily. Um, and Robert pretty much just said, you're going to kill yourself or give yourself diabetes. So you have to stop. And so he had already started doing keto. So I gave it a shot and it ended up like being so good. It took me a little while to actually feel good on it, especially my stomach. But then it was like, I can actually eat and I can actually do things and I can move and I don't have to be in pain and things like that. So um, kind of the next step was to get active and I was not active at all. Like I went on a run like once every three months, maybe for like a mile. <laughs> um, and then I, yeah, I just, he started um, kind of showing me a little bit more of what he was doing. I went to his competition and that kind of, I guess, encouraged me to start weight training and things like that. So cool. that was just about four years ago for me. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's amazing. It's really cool yeah. how you can use food as medicine and how it's just not like the gen- like the thing to do today. Everyone just wants to medicate to feel better, but like food is like the ultimate medicine if you use it properly. That's mm-hmm. really yeah. able food, to do that. And exercise. Yeah. 100%. Especially like when you look at the compounding effect of it, you know, if you get the nutrition dialed in, you're training every day, then that compounded over a lifetime. I mean, that's, that's the fountain of youth right there. Right. Very wow. Cool. Lee Priest. That's a, that, that's that's a a legend in and of himself so did, did, did you read arnold schwarzenegger's bodybuilding encyclopedia was that one of your first resources oh yeah yeah i've got that i've got i've got all those old bodybuilding books you know his 
his encyclopedia and then i mean that, that was literally what i watched like i would watch them train that's how i learned how to do these different exercises like i didn't have a coach or a mentor i'd see them do a bicep curl and that's what i started doing you know i just watched them which was probably not the best way to go about it because you know their youtube videos in the 90s they, they would show off on camera just to look jacked and swole because they were so yeah. i'd pick up all the bad habits they were putting on camera that's just how i started doing it so <laughs> the unlearned some of the bad habits for sure yeah, yeah. I, I can't tell you how much i respect how you are open about having um bad relationships with food and mm -hmm. more specifically eating disorders um and that's something that I've been thinking about when I was going to um, start talking about that more. And I've, t I've talked about it from time to time. It's no secret for me, but um, kind of wanted to wait a couple of years until I really, you know, published any content or anything um, really um, talking about what I went through. But I imagine that you and I probably went through a lot of things that are really similar. Um, what did that, what, what, what did that look, what did that look like for you? And I guess before I ask, um, I, I'll just give a couple examples of kind of what it looked like for me, which was, um, w w which was specifically with carbs and specific and specifically with highly refined carbs, even, even with natural sources of the carbs, but much more so with, with highly refined sources of the carbohydrate. Um, it would, it would do something mentally to me every time I would, I would, I would consume them and it, it would create an, it would create like a monster inside that was just never satisfied. <laughs> and uh, I never, I never really felt, I never really felt okay. I never really felt like it was food. I felt like it was um, almost closer to a drug than it was an actual source of food that was nourishing for my body. Um, and it was uh, a terrible cycle with going into my first couple competitions that resulted in, um, in, a, in a horrible relationship with food that really took several months to kind of get out of. Then it came back my second year of competing. So when I hired a coach, he helped me eliminate sugar from my diet because so many dieting methods right now are so um, are so highly marketed to, to to tell you that yeah you can eat cake, you can eat ice cream, you can you know and some people do it and it works for them. I don't know how that's possible because I'm all or nothing and 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 one one little bit of it man sends me on a spiral that's that's a that's 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 nowhere good. So. Um, yeah. having a lot of strict rules. I know you, you use the word strict keto uh, frequently in all of your content throughout your book and throughout all of your podcasts and having a strict approach for me has allowed me to set some rules and regulations for myself that as long as I stick to it, life, life is great. So um, I, I attribute a lot of that to my, to my current coach that I've had that has helped me um, establish a lot of healthy eating habits in these last couple months of, of, uh, of actually a strict keto carnivore diet for me is like probably like the ultimate elimination diet, but uh, I, I've, I've never felt better hormonally, never had more energy, never had this kind of sleep and never had this kind of energy and mental alertness. So, um, oh, and your relationship with food is just a lot better than it used to be. Yeah. And I, I enjoy food so much more. And so I guess what, what I, the reason, the reason I wanted to cover that context first is because I, I, I didn't want to give the impression that I'm, crying for something personal right now but if you're open to talking about it i think that would be really helpful for our listeners yeah i mean i have, I have no no problem talking about it. it's not something i'm particularly proud of but it's something that i feel like sharing is it's it's op opening up about it has made it obvious that there's a lot of people out there that have struggled with it and you see these bodybuilders it's really common in the fitness industry male and female yeah but you see these people you know looking you know immaculate they look like a greek statue but 
they're the farthest thing from the epitome of health. I mean, they have terrible relationship with food and they'll constantly be binging and purging. And that is common. It's very common. It's more, more competitors, I would argue, have struggled with that at some point than have not. Um, and for me, it really manifested itself after my first competition because I had dieted for so, so long, so hard, so strictly. I, mean, I lost, you know, 70 pounds in 12 weeks. And wow, I didn't cheat at all. Like I was literally counting rice grains. This was before keto. And when it was all said and done, I went out and eat. Uh, you know, I had a big meal with my family at, I think, Red Lobster where we went. And I put on 20 pounds in 24 hours. And I looked in the mirror the next day and didn't even recognize myself. And I just felt so demolished. I put so much work into something and it achieved this. I had achieved my goal. And then I just basically threw it away overnight. Um, yeah. And that's when I really started going off the deep end with binging and purging. I would like beat myself up for that. And then I wouldn't eat anything for days or I'd, you know, force myself to throw up and then I'd feel so hungry and I'd, I feel like I deserved food. So then I'd go to some place that was just crappy food, like IHOP or, you know, some Chinese buffet. And then I would just overindulge and then it'd be just the vicious cycle all over again. Just ne very negative feedback loop. So not, not a healthy or sustainable way to go about eating at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with the binging and purging too. I mean, that, that was me, man. That was, that was, that was me. Actually, I think you have a bit more self-discipline than I do because I didn't even make it to my first competition until I started, until that cycle started happening. And that was happening a little bit before. And it really got a lot worse after the show because I, I wasn't even dieting for anything. I didn't even know what a, a, a reverse diet was. I didn't understand mm -hmm. what happens to you hormonally going into a show and what happens to your metabolism and how, easy it is to put it back on because um, I'm, sure, I'm sure that you studied Lane Norton quite a bit mm -hmm. uh, he, and, and he'll, he'll talk about how fat cells actually change and they actually become more, they, they become more efficient at storing fat because they're freaked out about how much fat is on your body, which is not much at that time. Fat is a vital organ that's important for survival and for a lot of important metabolic, fun metabolic functions. Um, yeah. So in your, in your book, um, one of the, and, and so, yeah, so on that, when it, when it comes to coming into a show and coming out of a show and having a very, very low amount of body fat, um, is part of the reason I, I think I understand this correctly from your book, um, is part of the, I'm excited for your new book, by the way, I can't wait for that to come out because yeah, that's, gonna, that's gonna be a contest prep book, right? Yeah. It's gonna be very specific to contest prep. Um, it's just gonna be a lot more involved than the first book. The first book is is more of an introductory book. Like that was before I had even done my ketogenic uh, competition prep initially. Yeah. So I'd learned a lot since then. Yeah. That was the funnest part about reading it too, is I was like, wow, like this, this is, this is before he even proved it. So yeah. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Um, so it, it, am I, am I correct in understanding that when you get to a low level of body fat, as long as you're taking in a high amount of dietary fat, or at least an adequate amount of dietary fat, does your body really know the difference between what's on your body and what you're taking in as dietary fat? And is that why it doesn't freak out when you get that low level to that low level body fat? Well, it's still going to freak out to an extent. I mean, when you get that low of a body fat, like you're, you're going to have just an impact on your hormones, your metabolism, like things are going to start changing. It's not sustainable to be sub 5% body fat. But when you look at like hormones, for instance, like testosterone is an example the precursor to testosterone is cholesterol, which is basically fat. And if you're taking in adequate and sufficient amounts of dietary fat, you can kind of mitigate a lot of the adverse response that comes from 
just removing all dietary fat. So a lot of competitors, they'll be down to 30 grams. I've had, I've competed against people that have gone as far as to remove fish oil pills from their diet because they didn't want the fat in that. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and when you remove that much dietary fat, then your body's hormones are, I mean, every single cell in your body has got a surrounding layer of, you know, fat around the, the lipid cell membrane. And when you remove all dietary fat, you're literally just asking for a metabolic dysfunctional hormonal shutdown. Yeah, and if so. you can mitigate that by keeping dietary fat relatively high throughout the contest prep, you're going to, you're going to mitigate a lot of adverse effects. Yeah. Because 99% of bodybuilders in the standard approach is to up to the competition. That's when you cut out all fats and you're literally living on protein. Mm -hmm. You seem to do the opposite, right? You keep your fats at least moderate, but drop your protein extremely low to where any other bodybuilder will look at that and be like, how do you have any muscle left with that amount of protein? Yeah, the the first prep I did with keto, I think I got down, do you remember it was like 65 mm -hmm. grams? And then when she did her competition, you got down to... 30 grams. So 30 grams a day. Uh, and like we say those numbers and like, it's not like a braggadocious claim. Like I don't want people to eat that little protein. She doesn't want people to eat that little protein, but the very last little bit of a contest prep, when your calories are at their lowest, you're producing so many ketones because you're in such a deficit and ketone. I mean, ketogenic diet's like an evolutionary adaptation force survival and, you know, environment scarce in calories. So it makes sense. Uh, and ketones are very highly anti-catabolic. So you can get away with eating that little protein for a very finite period of time without experiencing any loss in lean tissue, especially if you're doing, you know, strategically placed ketogenic caloric refeeds once or twice a week in that context as well. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a, that gets into a little bit of a complicated area when it comes to refeeds that I'm, that, that I'm excited to talk with you more about in the future. Um, but something that I do keep telling myself is, is when I, whenever I have any thought that I'm like, oh, no, I'm losing muscle, I need to eat protein, I always remember what you said in your book, which is, and I, and I, think, and I think this is pretty much word for word, is ketones are incredibly anti-catabolic. Ketones yeah. are incredibly anti-catabolic. So I keep telling myself that, <laughs> hey, I need, I need more ketone production. So, um, yeah, my protein as of lately, I'm, I'm doing a mini shred right now for a personal um, transformation to showcase our products because um, I'm using like pretty much all of all, all of our own um, skull um, equipment that we've that, that we've created for for marketing purposes. So that's what our project is right now. So for that reason, I'm doing a cut because it's the easiest way to show quick results, right? Um, and 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 I'm like, so right now my protein is around. 120, 150 grams a day, which mm -hmm. for a guy that was usually north of 250 grams every day for years, uh, for, for me is quite low, but the, I've noticed that the lower it goes per day, the higher energy I have yep, and, exactly. and the higher I blow on that fancy breathalyzer that, that you use, which mm -hmm. I just purchased and, and I've been using, I haven't been able to get those crazy high numbers that I see you blowing on it. <laughs> 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 well, I, I don't, I don't blow that high unless I'm in a deficit. I mean, I, I don't ever want to encourage people to chase ketones. Like you don't want to just have the highest blood ketone, or the highest breath ketone. I mean, you got to look at the data and see what it's telling you. Um, but when you are in a caloric deficit, when you are trying to cut body fat and lean out, it's, it's normal to see an increase in ketone numbers and a decrease in blood glucose numbers. And when you're seeing those and your, your, your protein is adequate. You don't want to be under consuming protein. You want to be malnourished, but if you're taking in enough protein and you got enough dietary fat coming in, you're going to be solid from an energy standpoint and you shouldn't really have to worry about uh, losing any lean mass, especially if it's a, you know, relatively short period of time.
Right. Yeah. What does your protein look like? Um, just not contest prep, just, just like a good healthy amount of protein to where you're still in ketosis, but you're, but, but you're getting adequate protein. For me, it's probably between 150 and 200. I feel like half the time Crystal has eaten more protein than me sometimes, yeah. you know? <laughs> So it's, it's, uh, not, not near as much as it used to. I mean, there was a time when I'd eat 300 plus grams of protein a day. And if I didn't have like a protein shake, you know, 20 minutes post-workout, I felt everything was just falling off, you know, all, all my gains were going, but that's just yeah. not the case. You know? <laughs> huh. And your, and your fats right now are around what, what, what area? I guess, I guess what's, what's your goal right now? I'm sorry. Are you, are, are you maintaining your, your, your building, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, so I'm in a building phase. I'll be in a building phase until I do another competition prep, which will probably be whenever I can convince Chris to let me do another one. <laughs> I don't know, probably be a couple of years before I do one because I try and take a couple of years off in between shows. Um, so right now my calories are around 3,000, which is on the lower end for me. Like I'm trying to figure out what my lower threshold is for my caloric maintenance. Um, and for me, I can eat between like 3,000. I could probably eat between 2,900 calories and like 3,600 calories, anything in that window, I'm not really going to gain or lose weight. So I'm trying to figure out what my exact caloric maintenance floor is, which is why I'm on the lower end of that spectrum. Okay. Are, are you doing any cardio? Yeah, I go for a run every single day, but it's nothing crazy. Like it's like a mile and a half or so. And it's more so just for me to listen to a podcast and, and get my steps in than it is to actually do strategic cardio. Yeah. Well, now I can definitely tell that you've read Arnold's book because he's all about running, which, and he's like the only bodybuilder that, <laughs> that, that really, yeah. that really used running as his staple form of cardio. Most, most bodybuilders today that, that, that I've listened to that I've studied have said that uh, running is actually quite catabolic. Um, yeah. You don't want to be running marathons every day if you're trying to be a professional bodybuilder, but you know, you can definitely run and train and moderate the two and then not like there's a, I mean, there's a tipping point for sure. Like if you, if you run, you know, a reasonable amount and you train a reasonable amount, you're not really going to see a decrease in one or the other, but if you overdo one or the other, it's going to have an adverse effect on the other. Um, so that's why I think well, one mile, one and a half miles, two miles a day, that's not really going to negatively impact my training at all. Yeah. So are you paying attention? Are you paying close attention to like how you feel and your stress hormones and stuff as, as you're running and may maybe feel like, you know what, I feel like there's a lot of cortisol. This is probably going to be catabolic. I better not go for a run. Do you ever fa factor any of that in? I haven't skipped a day of running in probably about a year now. So I haven't, uh, I've, I've at least gotten a mile and a half in pretty much every, every day for the past year. So I haven't really worried about that. So there'll be times where I don't sleep well and I can tell that my, you know, cortisol levels are elevated in which case I may do like a deload week from training. I'll still train, but it may be just a little lighter intensity. Yeah. Robert's like a robot. <laughs> I've always told him that. I'm like, you're like a robot. You just keep going and going and going. I don't understand it. Yeah. It's those, it's those keto pricks. <laughs> <laughs> Must be. Must be. Okay. So your macros right now are pretty well, is it, is it pr pretty much the same? It's so like when you increase your, so when you increase your calories for the purpose of building muscle, um, is, is that, is that a, an increase of protein and fat in direct proportion to each other? Still the same macros and carbs? Yeah, for the most part, usually. I mean, for me personally, if I'm between about 77 and uh, my sweet spots are about 78% of my calories coming from fat. So if I'm between like 73 and 80, like somewhere in that window, I feel good. If I dip into the 60s, and I definitely feel less sharp. I feel more bloated. I feel just more lethargic. So I try and keep it on the higher end of the 70, 70 mark for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't typically gravitate toward the 80% when I'm in the off season, just simply because I'm eating so much more protein. Um, but yeah, somewhere in that upper seventies and I'm feeling pretty good. Okay. Um, in the back of your book, you have all of your, you, you, it's, it's not, it's not a training book, but you have, um, a, at least a bit of a training outline that looks like there's a decent amount of training volume in it. Nothing like too crazy, but still enough to where you can go, okay, yeah, this is definitely the way that a bodybuilder would train. Um, your, your rep ranges, are they, um, when I, I guess when I first started doing the keto diet, what I found was, um, anything that requires a lot of glycogen, which is like the eight to 12 rep range was a bit of a challenge, but I could do 15 to 20 reps without any problem because I think you mentioned this in your book too. You don't require the amount of oxygen that you need when, Mm -hmm. as, as when you have sugar in your diet. So like, I'll, I'll notice like my heart rate will be up. Like my heart, my heart's pumping, but I'm not huffing and puffing and out of breath. Like I am just amazing. Yeah. So I can do 15 to 20 reps without as much of an issue, um, which is really helpful on squats because otherwise I'd just be gassed. And then three to five reps, I'm actually pretty good too. But like anywhere right in the middle is kind of challenging. Um, I'm wondering if you've experienced any of that having, have, having done bodybuilding both as, uh, as an athlete with carbs and an athlete without carbs. So since, I mean, if you've watched and listened to any of our stuff, you know we're very much so on the, you know, truly allow yourself to deeply adapt and give yourself the time to play the long game and do that. So once you've truly adapted, you're able to replenish glycogen stores just as efficiently as if you were eating carbohydrates. So that said, now that I've been keto, strict keto for six years, five, six years, I can, I can hit those eight to 12 rep range. I can do those very glycolytic demanding exercises and activities and run circles around people that are eating carbohydrates. Now, had I constantly been going back and forth having weekends where I'm binging on carbs and eating keto the rest of the week and I never really got that level of depth in my adaptation, then I probably couldn't say the same thing. But since that's not been the case, I don't notice any adverse effect with regard to glycolytic demanding activities. Great. I've experienced the same thing and I wanted to hear it from you just to make sure that I was on the right track. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Cause it was only when I first started that anything glycoly- glycolytic was, was, was a challenge. I'm um, particularly hit cardio. I used to love jump rope and I would do jump rope all the time because it burns an insane amount of calories and it jacks my heart rate up. But when I, but when I, when I cut carbs for the first time, I just couldn't do it like at, mm-hmm. at all. I could, I, I couldn't do anything explosive. I could go for a run. I could, I could use that cause that's a, a primary fuel source for fat. But I think that, yeah, it took my body time to get used to replenishing glycogen stores as efficiently as what you're describing. So, yeah, I mean, Crystal does jump rope. That's pretty much, she does jump rope. I do it like, like with like a superset. So I might do like for leg day, I will just choose like five exercises and I always go super heavy, but in between of the, in between my sets, I'll do jump rope and which kind of just seems crazy, but (laughs) I picked it up recently and I love it. And I just like, I can't get enough of it. But (laughs) I think with what you were saying is I find that a lot of people get told, oh, you can't do this once you're keto or, oh, you can't do high volume once you're keto or, or you you know, whatever it is that they decide you can't do. And then people believe that and then they prevent themselves from doing it. And for us, we kind of just went for whatever we were in the mood for. And so we've played with it all and found that we haven't had any issues with it except for maybe during that adaptation period. So, wow. yeah. yeah. Yeah, awesome. So I have some questions because I'm a lot newer to keto than Colt is. And um, my mom and her husband actually started the keto diet like what, two weeks ago. And so they're in their 50s. And 
um I guess they're they're like going through like the the transition of like their mm-hmm. body getting used to eating keto. Yeah, and so are you a little bit, right? Yeah, and it hasn't been hitting me. I think as hard as it has been hitting them, but um, they wanted me to ask you guys like what I don't just don't know how to to word it, but they're just like what they're like digestionally feeling. One, I don't want to get gross about it though. <laughs> like one is like on one side of the spectrum, the other one's the other side of the spectrum. And they're yeah. just like, how long does this last? Like, does it go away? Is it normal? And because it, because if you like Google it, it says, yeah, it's normal, but it doesn't say like how long it's going to last. And just like the, I think there's the transition of getting all the carbs out of your body and just like redirecting where you're getting your energy yeah. from. And the in- inevitable reduction in, in the amount of dietary fiber consumed every day with, yeah. with, 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 the, with, with the intention of lower, lowering carbs overall. Yeah. yeah, I feel like for digestion, like it, there's like a two to four week for most people. I'd, I'd say it's two to four week adaptation period in which if you're going from one extreme to the other, it's going to take that time for your digestion system to work itself out. Even if you're fully keto and you do like carnivore, like if you're doing a higher vegetable version of keto and you switch to straight up carnivore with no vegetation, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll have that same two to four week period to get things equalized. But yeah. once you get equalized, I mean, you're good to go. Yeah. Also, um, I don't know if they supplement for with our electrolytes or anything, but magnesium is really helpful for both sides of things. Okay. Um, it helps to bring water into your digestive tract. And so if you are kind of backed up, it helps bring everything through. And also it can prevent, prevent too much water from building up as well. So I've dealt with so much GI issues that I am like your girl. So it's encouraging um, to hear that those, that, that stuff worked, that the keto diet has worked for you. And it hasn't been a constant battle of this food makes me feel like crap. And so like, it's just like, you found something that works for you because for me now we've had two kids in the last three years. And so like my body's gone through a lot of change and it's changed digestionally too. And so like, now I'm just trying to find what's making me feel good because mm-hmm. there's a lot of like diets that I've had that just, you don't feel good on them. And same thing like with my mom. And so we're, that's why we're so excited about the keto diet because you just feel good. Like once everything figures itself out, it's, it's much more consistent. Yeah. The energy. Yeah. yeah. So, but I'm excited. I'm very encouraged by your story, Crystal, which is, uh, thank you. Too. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think about digestion. Cause like before keto and you forget about this, though, we've been keto for so long now that we've forgotten about this, but before keto, like we would have to structure our day based off of what we thought our digestion patterns would be like, you know, like you have to, I mean, like with squats, for instance, you don't want to eat a meal full of carbohydrates and do some deep squats. And that's just going to be yeah. a bad outcome. <laughs> yeah. now, you don't have to worry about that. Like with, with keto and once your digestion equalized, once you figure out what works and responsible with your body, like you're regular, you've got it dialed in. You don't ever have to worry about that. You don't have any gas. You don't have any bloating. You don't have any of that stuff. It's just, you live your life and that's liberating. Yeah. It is funny as you were saying, like your body changes and things like that. And there's still some things that are technically keto that I still choose to stay away from because my body doesn't like it, but it's so much easier to know now. And kind of just as you were saying earlier too, um, with like the, the binging on carb stuff, that was me, especially when I very first started, anytime I like smelt a cookie (laughs) or like, (laughs) Any like anything, I just would go crazy, and yeah, there was several times where I just went insane with all of the sugar, and didn't tell him, and I would be up all night just getting so sick because I couldn't like help myself but to 
to like crazy binge on the carbs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it took me my first year to actually decide like that makes me feel horrible. Why am I doing it? Let's move forward. And then after that, I just said, no more. This is about feeling good and being healthy and like choosing health for my body over what my mind wants. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, and bo- both of us have experienced that. So thank you very much for your transparency, your transparency on that. Cause yeah, yeah it's something that nobody likes to talk about, but everybody but, almost and, experienced and, and men and women both, yeah. both deal with it quite mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Pretty much every client that I've coached, I, you know, we, we get into a, into an intimate conversation about what their uh, relationship with food has been, because it's very important to know. And I don't think I've trained one client that hasn't had some sort of issue, whether it was an all out full on eating disorder, or if it was even a bad relationship with food, but everybody struggles with it. Yeah. And it's not something you can really cure overnight. I mean, I've been lifting now for 12 years, I think, and I probably struggled with eating disorders for six of those years. I mean, it's like not something that you can just snap your fingers and fix. Right. Yeah. Has, has it required a lot of um, like personal growth and, and, uh, and, and maybe even like spiritual practices and more like internal digging deep into into who you really are and what the root of the issue is more so than just like the math and the science and what's on paper. I'm like, Oh, I'm eating this. This is why I'm feeling this way. This is what I need to change. Yeah. hundred percent. So like, I feel like initially before I started the business, before I really had found keto and made a career path around that and find, found the fulfillment in that, you know, like I defined myself as a bodybuilder. This is, you know, initially I defined myself as a bodybuilder and in the off season, you've got to prioritize building lean tissue, putting on some muscle, and you can't do that if you're at 5% body fat. So you have to embrace the fact that you're going to look a little bit soft. You're going to lose some definition in your abs, and you're going to have less of a visible bicep vein. That's just inevitable. Yeah. And when you define yourself as a bodybuilder, but you don't look like a bodybuilder because you're a little softer in the off season, that messes with you. Now, it's like I don't let that singular focus be my defining factor like i'm a businessman i'm a family man i've got other interests and aspirations and i can fully embrace the fact that whatever phase of my life i'm in i need to fully embrace that phase and give it my all and if i'm doing that with the off season i can be excited about the fact that i'm putting on more tissue putting on more lean mass and not worry about the fact that i don't look as good in the mirror like you just have to embrace whatever phase you're in Hey podcast, before we transition into the next topic, I think this is a good spot to wrap up part one. So we will publish part two very, very soon, which means that right now is a very good time to make sure that you are subscribed to the show so that you don't miss part two when it comes out. It'll be just a few days here. Also, if you could give us a review on whatever platform it is that you are consuming this content, that would be amazing. Please share it with your friends. We love you guys so much. So until the next episode, love you all. God bless, stay safe, stay healthy, and all that jazz. Bye-bye.